0: Begin PodFix Network transmission in 3, 2, 1... What is up, plant people? It's time once more for the Planthropology Podcast, the show where we dive in the lives, careers, and general awesomeness of some very, very cool plant people to figure out why they do what they do and what keeps them coming back for more. I'm Vikram Baligia, your host and your humble guide in this journey through the sciences. And as always, my friends, I am so excited to be with you today. Y'all, it has been a minute. It's been a minute, and I can't tell you how excited I've been to like get back to this and start talking to you again. Um, if you're new here, then you don't know any different, and it's just been since the last episode <laughs> since you have heard my voice. If you are a longtime listener, one, thank you so much for hanging out and bearing with me. Uh, I took the summer off. It's now September of 2022, and it's been a couple months since I put out an episode. And y'all, life just happens, right? And a lot of it's been happening in my world for a lot of reasons, mostly good stuff, some tiring, stressful stuff, but but it's life. That's how it works. And uh, I just needed a break. I had been doing this for two and a half years, put out 100 and something episodes, and I'd never really taken much of a break in the show. And so I just needed a little bit of time to collect my thoughts, regroup, and I am so stoked to be back doing this again. I've got some uh, great episodes recorded. Some great guests have been on and have recorded with me. I'm doing some more solo content, and I think it's going to be really, really awesome. So I'm excited for where Planthropology is headed. I'm excited to get back to it, and I'm excited to talk to you today. So uh, we're going to do a little bit of an update on how things are going in my world, if you care. If not, you can you know fast forward through a couple of minutes of the beginning of the uh, main episode after the the music musical interlude after that uh and then we'll do a little bit of question and answer and i'll talk about what's in store for the show for the rest of the year so buckle up uh grab a frosty beverage or a warm beverage or a bag of cheetos or whatever else you like and get ready for the september q a and update episode of the plant podcast Okay, we are back. So... I think I want to fill you all in on what's been going on. And again, it's not really anything bad, but it's been a hectic summer. Um, My dad had a procedure earlier in the summer, towards the end of the fall semester, or spring semester, right at the end of the spring semester. And so I spent a couple of weeks with him. And then when I came back, I was trying to get ready for things during the summer. For those of you that don't know, I manage the greenhouse and horticultural gardens at Texas Tech University. And we spent most of the summer planting plants and keeping things upgraded and trying to get stuff fixed. And we've had one of the hottest, driest, sort of most brutal summers I can remember having in my part of the universe. And uh, it was really all we could do to keep our plants and stuff alive this summer. It was it was really a struggle. And so I, I spent a lot of time trying to do that. And um, I'm working on a couple of different projects, non-podcast projects that I've been trying to get wrapped up and spent a lot of the summer working on that. And then I recently moved. And so I have to, you know, get moved into the new house and do some repair stuff at the old house before we could sell it. It's It's been a busy summer. Um, but I appreciate y'all sticking around. Uh, I see you on Twitter. I see you on TikTok and Instagram and all the places and still interacting, still being my friend. And I I really genuinely appreciate that. I really do. Um, And so for the rest of the year, again, it's September of 2022. We're going to keep going like we have been or or like we were before. I've got some solo stuff. We'll be doing more Q&A episodes. So if you're listening to this and have not had a question answered on the show, Or even if you have and you've got more plant questions or questions about me, questions about podcasting, really whatever, uh, I'd love to answer them. We've got some more tree talk episodes. Uh, I had intended to do 12 episodes of that through the year. Uh, and I'm a couple behind. So we may get a couple a month through the rest of the year so I can get Tree Talk wrapped up. And then I've got some great guest interviews. You're going to hear from some old favorites from the show and a lot of new people. Um, it's weird. Life is weird. I um, I think last time I talked to you, my TikTok was just starting to sort of get a little more popular. It was starting to talk, starting to take off a little bit. And I am um, still not you know, getting calls from major networks to do TV shows and stuff like that. But uh, I've gone from about five thousand followers at the beginning of 2022 to uh, just shy of forty thousand. So I've been putting a little, a lot of time into that actually. So if you want to go follow me there, I am at the Plant Prof on TikTok but i've made a lot of cool plant friends through it and so a lot of them are going to end up being on the show over the next um few months and and into the future and i really am excited for you to hear from some of these people because they bring a lot of new perspectives and a lot of different ideas to this and it's it's going to be really cool it's going to be really cool so Again, you can expect more of what I hope you have come to love on the show, um, but also some new stuff, some new faces, some new formats i'm I think I've decided after two and a half years of podcasting and trying to fit within. What I had decided were sort of some fairly rigid guidelines of how the show runs and how I want to do it. I'm just going to start experimenting in a a little bit, and I hope that's okay with you. Uh, You're still going to hear all the same great stuff, um, but we're going to try some new things too. And if you have ideas for guests you would like to hear on the show, or uh, topics you would like me to tackle, or just different ways to present information, I would love to hear it. I would love to hear it. Again, this is going to be the same show you know and love, maybe with some new flavors. And I've got a couple of like, super secret projects coming up that I can't wait to tell you more about. So that's where Planthropology has been. And that's where it's going. Uh, I think, you know, it's it's an evolving situation. Life changes. Uh if you know anything about me or if you've gotten to know me at all over the past couple of years, you know that my brain is sometimes all over the place. And uh that comes through on the show probably, but I think it's exciting, right? It keeps it fun. And so uh we're going to see what happens. I'm I'm very excited about the future of plant anthropology and just what we're going to be doing. So uh, since this is technically a Q&A episode, let's A some cues. Eh, I'm going to walk that one back. I don't love that. I'm going to answer some of your questions. So y'all have sent me a lot of great questions over the past year or so, and I get them all the time on on social media and in different ways. People email them to me and, and all of that. So I've got a few in a, in a couple of Twitter threads I'm going to answer, and then I'm going to address... Some of the weird things I've seen on TikTok since we last talked. Uh, some of one one in particular that has popped up. Two. Let me let me go with two. But really, one in particular that's really popped up over the past few months, and that I hadn't really seen before. And I don't know why it's trending, but it is. So we're going to talk about it. So the first question. Uh, comes from my friend B, and you've heard B before. Um, she has been on Plantropology. Uh, it's this is uh, Dr. Bethany Nichols, and uh, she's a, definitely a crowd favorite on the show. And I love that uh, we have gotten to interact. and She has a new podcast called The Biologist of It, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna tell myself a little bit. I I didn't. It took I had to read it a couple of times because my brain was slow, Uh, but it's the biologist of it So she interviews different biologists and sort of tries to get the gist of what they do And what their science is what they study and then uh, relates it back to pop culture references and uh, things in the media that everyone kind of knows and loves and can understand and um, She is just one of my favorite people She's kind and delightful and you should be following her on social media for sure and you should absolutely be listening to the biologist of it. So B asks, what's the most difficult plant you've ever had to work with? And I had to think about this one for a little bit, because I've worked with a lot of different plants as a landscaper and and trying to install different plants. I've worked with a lot of plants as a uh, garden and greenhouse guy. And during my masters for those of you that that don't know i studied olive trees and my research was on olive oil production and we looked at in south texas what could growers do what practices should they be following uh, to be more water conscious and and be more uh, mindful of their water resources as they grew their olives so we looked at you know how how could they reduce irrigation by a certain amount to to still hopefully have the desired result of having big olives that are full of oil that can be pressed and sold and all the things that you do when you're a grower. And I thought for a while that, oh, that's going to be the one. that That's the one. Uh, but but olives are not, they're temperamental in some ways, uh, especially in terms of um, like cold, right? They're They're not, they're a Mediterranean crop. They are not especially cold tolerant. But that's not it. Uh, one plant that has eluded me over and over and over again, and it's something that I have tried to grow in the garden. I've tried it in the ground. I've tried it in hanging pots. I've tried it in a lot of different places, and I so badly so badly want it to work, and it just doesn't, is a plant called Calibrachoa. So this is a um, sort of vining, trailing plant. Sometimes you can find them that are more mounding. They come in a wide variety of colors, and they look similar in some ways to a petunia. Right, They have um, sort of bell-shaped, trumpet-shaped flowers. They have a lot of variation. They're really a delicate-looking little plant. And in some places, they do so well. They take over. They spread. They do all kinds of stuff. For some reason, I cannot grow coa. I've tried it every way I can come up with. We've planted in the ground? No. Planted in raised beds? No, not so much. Hanging baskets? No. Pots? No. So I can't grow it. And so that, for whatever reason, has been very difficult. Uh, a runner-up right now, and this is one that is is okay. If you know me, you know that my one of my least favorite plants is the rose. And I know I can hear the gasps through the the microphone and through my headset. Um, I don't like roses. I, I mean, they're fine. They're fine. They're very much just okay. But they're, I don't know, overdone, maybe, I don't know if they're boring, I, I don't know what it is, I just don't love roses, they're susceptible to a lot of diseases, um, they're fairly tough plants overall, but sometimes they just don't look the best. Now, I, I will admit, a beautiful heirloom rose that smells sweet, has big showy flowers, all of that, I, it's its hard not to like that, it's, it is, it's It's hard not to like that, but in general, I could kind of take or leave roses. That being said, we had um, a lot of roses on our horticultural garden at Texas Tech, and uh, in, in two different gardens. One was sort of an heirloom garden, and one was just sort of, sort of a mixed rose garden. And we had, oh gosh, 115, 120 large, mature, some heirloom roses. And I'm down to about and those are probably going to have to come out there's a disease called rose rosette disease that is a virus spread by a mite and by thrips and they're sort of it's this weird pest complex that's a whole other thing. That's a discussion for another episode probably is how pest complexes work. But essentially they get spread in nursery stock. And the knockout rose, which is one of the most popular roses grown throughout the U.S., but definitely in my part of the U.S., is incredibly susceptible. It is a likely host. And they are planted so much that this disease spread all over Texas. It's infected nursery stock. It's infected displays and gardens. And it hit our garden a couple. years ago and unfortunately we had to take out all our roses and there were a couple that we thought escaped and I may still have a couple that have escaped but in general like rose rosette's bad news it's a virus there is uh, nothing really we know of at the moment that can be done about it there are some antivirals that are being tested some research going into it but in general once you get rose rosette disease um It kills the roses over a couple of seasons. First, they'll start looking bad. Some of the symptoms to look for are when new growth comes out, it'll look and stay red. Now... A lot of times new growth on roses looks red anyway, but rose rosette will continue to stay red longer than it should. You also get weird growth patterns like something we call a witch's broom where all the little branches at the end of a main stem sort of cluster together. The flower buds all cluster together and never really develop. Uh, but one of the most telltale signs is the prickles or the thorns on the rose. They cluster up, you'll get way more than you would ever expect. Hundreds and hundreds in like a few inches of stem. And they typically are kind of soft. Like they're not as pokey and prickly as you might normally expect um, from a prickle. Meh. Anyway, those are really telltale characteristics of Rose Rosette. You can see it right as the new shoots come out and all of that it's really a big problem and in general once your plant has rose rosette the the best bet is just just get it out Um, you can't necessarily put another rose in that spot because it is persistent in the roots and stuff like that so can be a problem for sure so uh, roses lately have been one of the more difficult crops that I've had to work with or plants that I've had to work so uh, thanks B for that question that was a good one for sure Uh, next question comes from an old favorite uh, a friend of longtime friend and friend of the show uh, who's asked a lot of good questions on here Uh, Dustin from the Sandman Stories Presents podcast if you like stories and folklore from all over the world you should have Sandman stories in your podcast rotation. So he has a couple of questions here and and I'll um, go through a couple of these. So best late season crop for a small garden. Uh, My friend friend, uh, Brad Ganley uh, put out a TikTok recently where he says, um, regardless of what your partner thinks your front yard should look like, if you are not throwing radishes in every open space in your garden, uh, you're wasting valuable radish space and brad's right Um, radishes don't take up a lot of room they grow real fast and some people really really like them i'm ambivalent they're very much okay Uh, but things like leafy greens herbs are great Uh, root crops are great Uh, broccoli cauliflower all those kinds of things now some of these take up a lot more room right broccoli and cauliflower are not small plants But what's cool is you can plant a lot of these together in really close proximity. You can grow your root crops with your lettuce because the part of the lettuce that you want is above the ground and they have a fairly shallow fibrous root system. And the part that you want from your carrots or garlic or turnips or whatever else is up underground right it's underground so you're kind of layering in there and whether you're growing them in a pot or a small garden or whatever else uh, mixing leafy greens and herbs with root crops is really effective and you can grow a lot of food in a small space especially in the late summer um, through sort of fall and early winter season so that's a good one um, another question he has is what is a good compost smell killer This is a great question, Um, and the answer is time, oxygen, and heat, and moisture, okay? So, new compost, where you're throwing your banana peels and other stuff in the pile, is going to smell a little funky, because you've got stuff in active decomposition. It's rotting, um, it's releasing a lot of gases into the atmosphere, and it smells just funny right kind of funky um but if you can turn it regularly if you can get the sort of core temperature of your compost pile up to temperature, which sometimes is 140 to 160 degrees Fahrenheit. um, Over time, that smell starts to go away. Some of those gases burn off. Some of the uh, microbial activity slows down. And the closer you get to finished compost, the less it should smell like a pile of eggshells and banana peels and um, other assorted things. And the more it should smell kind of rich and earthy, that smell should start going away. Now you can cover your compost piles. This Sometimes can either speed up or even slow down the activity depending on where you are and how hot it is. Um, but that's not a bad option. Um, but I think regular turning, making sure that the fresher material that is going to smell gets buried deeper in the pile, in your compost pile, or if you have one of those fancy compost turners, you can do that as well and just turn your compost. That is pretty effective as well so good question and the last thing is the last question Dustin has that I I wasn't originally going to answer but I think I'm going to what are these maggots growing in my compost and should I kill them? No, you should let all the little little squiggly bugs in your compost pile do the thing. They're probably fly larva or beetle larva. It, they could be a lot of things. But they're doing their job of decomposing and breaking down that material that is in your compost pile. Um, the thing that makes compost is little insects and microorganisms. And if you've got things growing in your compost, let them be. Let them be. Let them be, let them be. Uh, And when the sun comes up tomorrow, you should let them be then, too. So um, I would definitely recommend just leaving them alone. Now, if they're in your kitchen, if you've got one of these kitchen composter things, yeah, you know, maybe uh, uh, use a little bit of caution. But in general, um, no, leave them alone. Leave them alone. Okay? Good questions, Dustin, as always. Okay. So next question comes from probably just a possum on the Twitter machine. Probably just a possum. Uh, I'm suspect about whether or not this is actually a possum. I like to think it is. I hope it is. But, you know, I don't know. So if my aloe has pups, do I have to repot them or can I just let them thrive with the parent? This is a good question. You don't necessarily have to, right? I mean, in in nature, they're going to grow sort of in mass for a while. But eventually that mother plant is going to start declining, And because essentially their root systems end up being still connected. And while they do photosynthesize and create their own energy, they're also potentially stealing resources from that mother plant. Uh, They can lead to overcrowding in a pot. It can be problematic in a lot of ways. I recommend letting them go for a while. You know, goodness knows in our greenhouse, all of our pots of aloe have a lot of aloe in them a lot of little plants and over time as we want them for different things we'll pull them out and we'll divide them and and all of that that's great um, but i would recommend you can leave them for a few months let them get big enough develop a root system but i probably would go ahead and divide those and move them into separate pots give that mother plant more room to grow uh, more room to develop and in long term you'll have more healthy aloe it works out better Okay, so that is a that is a very good question. Um, I am going to answer another question from my friend, Tyler Herman, Archduke Tyler. Tyler is the host of the What's the Alternative podcast. And uh, you should definitely be listening to that too. It's talking about alternative energy sources and fuels and, and uh, uh, conservancy and a whole lot of things that are relevant to climate change, relevant to a lot of the issues that we're dealing with today. So, Tyler likes to try to get me in trouble, and I appreciate it because he asks good questions. So, um, I'm going to go ahead and give you the background information that he gave me. He says, I was having a discussion with some friends about agriculture efficiency and globalization. You know, just casual chat, like you do, Tyler, like you do. And I was just curious if you'd be able to answer a question that came up how much more efficient is industrial agriculture than home growing Uh, Tyler (laughs) you're gonna get me in trouble with this one um he follows it up and says my guess is that it's easily 100 times more efficient in land use let's say but potentially even more assuming every household isn't like incredibly sophisticated in their home farming and spending their whole lives just growing food so I have a couple of thoughts here and and I've done a little bit of research on this, and it's hard to really pin down like really, really good numbers on this because it's a sliding scale, right? When we talk about efficiency, it's so, sort of a loaded term. Are we talking about uh, pounds of produce per unit area? Are we talking about amount of output per input and in water and uh, nutrients and and everything else that goes into growing a crop? And and those numbers are. Possible to nail down, but they're a little cloudy, right? Because we don't know what everyone's practices is practices are at home. We don't know what all of our large scale agriculture practices are. Sometimes they're, you know, yes, doing things in sort of a set way, but but it, it's it's a sliding scale. I will say, I'm gonna say it's a science thing. So it it depends. I, and and it also depends on the question we're really asking. If we're talking about resource efficiency, if the average homeowner is doing it, I would say that definitely, you know, larger agricultural production is going to be more efficient. And I say that because it's, it's mechanized. Usually you have um, less people per operation. And, you know, if you're a one man operation in your home and you're growing a hundred square feet of you know, tomatoes or whatever, versus a three-man operation that's that's farming 20 acres of tomatoes. Uh, yeah, obviously they're being more efficient with their time and resources and they're getting like large-scale production. So so that's, you know, one way to look at it. If we're talking about the amount of resources used, um, if you're really careful at home, you can use your resources very, very wisely. But it's also easy to just go buy a bag of fertilizer and put half of it in the front yard and half of it in the backyard without really thinking about the um, amount of nitrogen you're putting in and and all of that so if you know what's in your soil and you know how to apply specific to your soil you can be very efficient with it Um, a lot of times home sprinkler systems including drip lines that end up in vegetable gardens they're sort of, you know, set it and forget it kind of systems where you turn it on, you look at it once, you set it and it just runs itself and you never think about it because it runs at two in the morning, right? That isn't, that does not lend itself to efficiency. However, uh, we have lots of examples of waste in large-scale agriculture over application of water and nutrients and, and all of those things. So there's, an, there's a case to be made that someone growing in their backyard is using much smaller volumes of, of these things, and the theoretical environmental impact per person per yard may be quite a bit smaller. In in a in a home operation, so if we're talking about efficiency in terms of environment, it's it's possible we're putting one in the wind column for the backyard gardener, but we can't really do that. We're not c- comparing apples to apples in some way. If we take it to an uh, like a macro scale and we look at a hundred acres of agricultural land versus a hundred acres of urban garden. Uh, because because it's not a monolith, right? It's an aggregate of people that are just growing turf, or n two tomatoes, or some people that may have converted everything to a garden. Um, I'm going to say pound for pound, acre for acre. Yeah, uh, large scale ag is going to be a lot more efficient because there are profits to be considered. Right? You're going to use just the amount of of fertilizer and pesticides and all of these things that you need because those things cost money. So if you look at the scale of lots and lots of urban land, that is a very mixed use thing, and larger scale agriculture, that is a single use thing that you can really, really, really dial in. It's easier to be much more efficient. I think we also need to look at it from the standpoint of what is our goal um, with these different types of operations. So, If you're growing vegetables in your backyard, you're probably trying to grow produce for your family, right, Um, enough to maybe eat during the season and can or freeze or, or whatever else and put away that's awesome. You may even be growing enough that you could take some to a farmer's market or you can and make a few bucks, or you could give it away to your friends and family, and all those things are great. But the scale of your goal is quite a bit smaller, right? You are, in general, and again, I'm speaking in generalities here, the average home gardener is just trying to maybe supplement their food supply a little bit. They're not trying to necessarily replace what they go to the grocery store for. I have friends that I've made on TikTok and other places that that do that. They replace most of their garden produce, at least stuff that can be locally grown in a given area, with stuff from their garden. I think that's really cool. Um, but but sometimes uh, it's just, I'm going to grow a few things and we're going to have a few fresh tomatoes that's going to get my kids excited about tomatoes and because uh, they got to grow it and eat it themselves. And I'm going to go get everything else I need, like oranges and strawberries and blackberries and other tomatoes and things like that from the grocery store. Because they have those and someone else grew them and the person that grew them was really good at growing them and it didn't cost them $84 to make three tomatoes. I can get three pounds of tomatoes for a dollar or whatever, right? I'm making numbers up. So the goal in that case is... is Fairly small in scale. And then you can go up to the small acreage operation, uh, both horticulture and agriculture sometimes, where they are looking at Maybe market gardening or direct to restaurant or CSA gardening or whatever, however else you want to cut that, right? There's a lot of ways to look at it. Um, but I think that the goal of large scale agriculture is very different, very different. And efficiency is part of the goal. Um, and, and there's a lot of bad rap out there for commercial agriculture, whether it's conventional or organic or anything in between. And there's become this, like, popular thing in the media, and I I don't know why, and I'm not saying media with a capital M as in, like, this dark and shady, like, entity that's out to get us. I I don't look at it that way. Uh, I kind of maybe just mean, like, the public zeitgeist, the um, overall thoughts of of a society that is represented through the media we put out. They're like agriculture bad, farmers destroying planet. i'm going they're out to get us. and that's not true. They're growing the Commodities we need um, to make biofuels, to feed our livestock, to make shirts and oils and all of these different things. Um, They are growing tomatoes so that you can have tomatoes, right? Yes, they're making money in the process. Excellent. Very, very good. Good good deal. But that—that they should be, right? That is their job. That's what they're doing. You go to your job so you can make dollars, and they are going to their job so they also, too, can make the dollars. Is everything perfect in the agricultural industry? Goodness, no. Um, Nothing's perfect in any industry. We always work to improve. But the goal is large-scale production for lots and lots of people. And if you think of how many people are you feeding, um, how many people are you clothing— per the amount of output you're putting out there. Uh, yeah, I would say that that large-scale ag is incredibly efficient. And we can, again, make the case for community co-ops of people who are gardening together, and that's really good, and you can feed a community, and we absolutely 100% should be doing that. Do more of that. Let's go do that, okay? Okay. Um, But there's a lot of hungry world out there, and it starts at the community level. We help take care of our communities, and then we have to look outside of that a little bit and say, our community's good. How else do we make other communities good, too? How do we provide for the more disadvantaged amongst us? nationally locally internationally whatever so yeah no that's a really loaded and and interesting question Tyler but I think that in general yes probably uh large-scale agriculture is is far more efficient but it also depends a little on how you look at it okay um the last thing I want to talk about is a weird tiktok thing new tiktok trend if you're not on the tiktok machine it's fun It also has its issues, but it's lots of fun. I've at the very least been having lots of fun with it. Okay. So, again, I'm at the Plant Prof if you'd like to find me there. So, um, I've seen several videos pop up and go really pretty viral and get really, really big uh, where someone is like, I grew my watermelons too close to my pumpkins and I ended up with a pumpkin melon. Or a a, um, a water pumpkin or whatever, right? Some weird hybrid fruit, and they go and they cut up, open this like weird looking watermelon, and it's all like white and strange inside. And they're like, "Look, it looks like a pumpkin." So I crossed these two together this season, and this fruit that's on the plant now is a hybrid and people like buy it because right it's very visual you give this weird big weird looking watermelon and um you say well okay they're in the same family they're both cucurbits maybe they could cross uh and and now we have this weird pump melon i don't know i don't like that one either anyway um it doesn't really work that way for a couple of reasons one yes watermelons pumpkins they're both cucurbits they're still in they're both in the same family but they're not the same genus and while you can theoretically theoretically occasionally get some cross pollination those seeds are almost never going to be viable right you're probably not going to get viable seed like the odds of it being viable are astronomical even if they were Even if you you managed to cross your cucumber and your pumpkin just by planting them close to each other in the garden, which, again, you really can't, um, it's not going to affect the fruit that season. Now, if you go and you had this weird, wacky, impossible hybrid and you planted it and it managed to grow and uh, pollinate and set fruit, the next season's crop might be a weird hybrid. But pollination in season while it can influence the flavor and quality of a fruit a little it is not going to hybridize a fruit in season it's not until the next generation that you see the effects from this hybridization right so so right off the bat this a watermelon pumpkin Hybrid is not going to happen, right? You will see some crossing sometimes between like a pumpkin and a, say, um, butternut squash or, or uh, between a cucumber and maybe something like a zucchini. Um, but, but even that is, is fairly rare. Cross pollination usually stays within genus um, and then in general, you know, within a species as much as possible. So it is, it is challenging and you can't. You, there, there. we can do a lot of things I will say we can do a lot of things and you can GMO the heck out of some stuff and, and use transgenics to come up with some really weird things and some really cool things and some really useful things but in your garden you're just not crossing your watermelon and your pumpkin it's just not going to happen and um, another point I want to make is that unripe fruit looks weird it just looks weird if you've never cut open an unripe fruit I know you don't want to sacrifice one necessarily but cut it open sometime and it, it, it is not going to look like you think it does. It looks weird. It just looks weird. So the video I saw where this person was saying that they, you know, crossed their watermelon and pumpkin, they cut open a big immature yellow watermelon. And watermelons get bigger than you think. So that was that. And then I see, I saw one the other day that was like my acorn squash, um, or cucumber or something crossed with my cantaloupe. Also, no, you can potentially get your cantaloupe crossing with your watermelon. Still isn't going to have an effect in season and you probably aren't going to get like super viable seeds for the next season. So, uh, while yes, we can cross things, we can make some surprising crosses and sometimes some of them happen in nature too. Uh, stuff happens, right? Um, the odds are very low and it just doesn't really work that way. Okay, cool. Are we on the same page? I hope we're on the same page with that. I've been ranting a lot about TikTok. I should probably like take a deep breath, but it's okay. I have fun again. Um, that was my last thing that I wanted to address for today. So I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got some questions answered, found some new questions that you might have in your brain after our discussion today. So if you do, send them to me at planthropologypod at gmail.com or find me on social media to connect. I am planthropology underscore on Twitter because somebody beat me to planthropology without the underscore. I am planthropologypod on Instagram and just good old plant anthropology on the Facebook machine. If you want my other outlets, I am the plant prof on Instagram and Twitter and also TikTok. So hit me up on all those, send me your questions, send me your thoughts and comments. I like it when people interact. Please say hi. If you hear this, if you're still listening to this episode and you hear this, look me up on social media and just say hi. I, I miss and I love interacting with You, my listeners, and my friends. Uh, If you'd like to support the show, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash Planthropology, and for the price of a coffee, you'll buy me a coffee. I drink a lot of coffee. You can also go to my merch store if you get on planthropologypod.com and click on merch. It'll take you to my Redbubble store. There's a few things on there, and I will be adding a lot more things soon, including some stuff that um, comes from some of the tiktok stuff i've done so uh some fun merch stickers hats shirts whatever else coming out Um, i would love it if you would leave me a rating and review wherever you can whether on PodChaser or apple podcasts um you can leave me a rating on spotify so pretty much a lot of places that you're listening you can interact and rate the show in some way uh people can argue all day about whether it actually helps with the algorithm and distribution of a show. Uh, I don't know if it does. It probably doesn't. But it is good social proof and it makes me feel happy. So, uh, if you're looking to get me a gift, I wear a size five-star review. I would also like for you to be honest with me but you don't have to be so publicly honest with me if you don't like the show. Send me an email again at planthropologypod.com our planthropologypod at gmail.com. You can get it also through planthropologypod.com and interact. But uh, lots of good stuff coming up. Tree Talk next week, uh, an interview with a crowd favorite and one of my very, very dear friends and favorite human beings. And I don't want to ruin the surprise, but coming up the week after that, um, some interviews with colleagues, some interviews with TikTok friends, some more solo content, lots more Tree Talk, and lots of goodness to come so keep being cool keep being awesome plant people because you know plant people are cool be kind to one another keep being kind to one another if you have not yet been kind to one another now's a pretty darn good time to start you know i love you you know i think that you are wonderful and i appreciate you being a part of this so take care be safe be kind and we will talk next week